Clinical documentation improvement depends on the use of risk adjustment models and methodologies. Keeping up with model updates is crucial for reimbursement. And on this episode, we'll examine the latest risk model updates as part of the series. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality of Vizient and Practicing Internist. And I welcome back Mr. Jim Tamburini. Hey, Jim. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. So why don't you remind the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do at Vizient. So my name is Jim Tamburini. I'm a Senior Consulting Director in the Clinical Documentation Improvement Solution at Vizient. I'm a coder by background and have been in clinical documentation improvement consulting for 10 years and in healthcare since the early 2000s. So Jim, for most end-user clinicians or the people that are really out in the floors and in the clinics, they really don't know much about these risk models. Before we go into the updates about them, can you explain what these risk models are and their importance in CDI? A risk model is a group of similar patients. And what Vizient tries to do is we try to understand how likely any patient in that particular model group is to expire. And according to all the diagnoses that are applied to that case, what is the impact of any one of those diagnoses on that patient's expected mortality? I've also brought up several times on this podcast about how, frankly, providers write notes for other providers. Coding is not even a thought process. And when you're trying to really come up with your clinical truth, it's not so much concentrating on people that have a high risk of mortality or dying during the admission. It's actually truly reflecting how sick all your patients are. Reflecting how sick your patients are is absolutely the goal. We know that physicians are treating really sick patients and physicians know it as well. Unfortunately, what we hear is, I'm treating very sick patients, but I don't think I'm getting the credit for it and help me understand why. And that's where these variables kind of come into play. So let's talk about these variables. What exactly do they mean? A risk variable is essentially a diagnosis or a series of diagnoses grouped together into a variable. For example, fluid and electrolyte disorder, that is a variable that appears in many of our Vizient risk models. And there are several diagnoses that group up to that variable. So if one of those diagnoses appears on the final coding summary and the POA or present on admission indicator is yes, then that counts towards the expected mortality of that particular patient in that model group. So let's help with some of our providers in reference to clarity. Just because I put down the patient has a potassium of 3.3, which is low, that in itself is not enough. I actually have to document that the patient has hypokalemia? Best practice is to indicate the term hypokalemia and also to indicate that you've identified it and what you're doing about it as well. So how's Vizian involved in these risk models, Jim? So Vizient has an entire methodology, which we publish for our members. We develop in conjunction with our members and feedback from our members. We have an entire risk adjustment methodology whereby we utilize the data that our members submit, and we use what's called logistic regression modeling in many of the cases to identify the conditions that, according to all of the patients that are submitted in that particular model group, what are those conditions that are most likely to affect the expected mortality of that patient? Thanks for that explanation, and I understand there may be some changes that, frankly, many of our providers might not even be aware of. So let's just start out with palliative care codes. Can you tell us a little bit what happened with that? With the palliative care codes, in 2021, the palliative care code, which is Z515, was made POA exempt by the CMS, which means in order for it to count in the Vizient methodology, the POA status does not matter anymore. So given the increasing percentage of observed deaths in a couple particular model groups, which were driven by that palliative care code as the principal diagnosis, uh, that variable was replaced with a variable for a patient having a DNR that was not ventilated greater than 96 hours or on ECMO. So what that means is that palliative care will only be used as a principal diagnosis for two model groups. It's 321 and 325. And by POA, you mean what exactly? 
present on admission, that is an indicator that is applied at the time of coding, which tells the CMS whether that condition was present at the time the patient was admitted or if that condition developed after admission. There are other indicators which also say we couldn't tell or it's unclear, et cetera, et cetera. So we're also familiar with risk posed by obesity. Can you go over some of the changes in models for obesity, Jim? With obesity being a major risk factor for COVID and other hospitalized patients, what Vizient has done is created a risk variable for patients with extreme morbid obesity. Those variables include patients with a BMI of 50 to 69, then a BMI of greater than or equal to 70. Those have been created to account for those much higher BMI patients. I can understand. And unfortunately, we're seeing higher and higher amounts of these kind of patients in our facilities. And the other end of the dietary spectrum is malnutrition. Can you tell us about updates in that area, Jim? So our malnutrition variable now includes codes for mild protein calorie malnutrition and also failure to thrive. Previously, neither of those codes were included in that particular variable. So if a patient was coded with mild protein calorie malnutrition, which was present on admission, the organization was not given credit for capturing that variable and thus would not receive the expected mortality score associated with that variable. That has now been changed. So they will now get that credit for mild protein calorie malnutrition and also failure to thrive. You know, Jim, I want to add that the recognition of mild protein calorie nutrition or just protein calorie nutrition is important. On average, most hospitalized patients only eat about 1,200 calories a day. Many of our patients that we're seeing hospitalized now are multiple patients with long-term chronic disease management issues that are not taking in the amount of protein that they should. So it does relate to their risk for mortality, but also it's necessary to document them. Absolutely. We find protein calorie malnutrition in all of its stages as one of the most frequently queried conditions in the world of CDI. We find that often documented in our dietary notes, but in order for the coding team to capture that code, it has to be pulled into the assessment plan in the progress notes, HMP, disturbed summary of the attending physician. So we encourage our attending docs out there to review those nutrition notes, review those dietary assessments, and then indicate in your note if the patient has any form of malnutrition. Yeah, and we preface, this is a great way to showcase how sick your patients really are and to emphasize your clinical truth of the work that you're actually doing. Agreed. This is one of those very important conditions that appears in many of our visiting risk models. An important variable that has some updates involves that of cardiac devices. Can you explain what happened there? So there's a variable called cardiac device graft in place previous encounter, and that was to represent patients who have had a stent or some other sort of cardiac device placed. That variable in 2022 was split into five different variables, and those variables gain us a little bit of additional specificity with regards to the specific type of device. So that device variable has been split into heart assist device or artificial heart, heart valve replacement in place, cardiac rhythm device in place, previous coronary bypass or angioplasty, which would include your cats, balloon angioplasty, stents, et cetera, et cetera, and then vascular and other cardiac device. It gives us a way to further drill down into the actual particular specificity of the particular device. Because what Vizian does is we model for certain types of outcomes, and we want to identify what the associated expected mortality is for a patient with not just this homogenous group that says cardiac device or graft left in place. We want to examine what is the effect of those specific types of devices or grafts in that patient population. Jim, one of the harmful effects of the pandemic was in reference to oncology. Many patients weren't screened, so the long-term effects of that are not truly understood, but expected to be quite bad. In addition to that, many patients that did have cancer didn't follow up with care, so many of their diseases actually advanced. So what procedure groups have been added to the oncology models, and what's the significance about those changes? 
Very important changes there. So I'll even take a further step back. So in 2021, Vizient updated our oncology modeling to be centered around the primary malignancy, not necessarily the principal diagnosis or even the MSDRG that the case was assigned to. We're talking about the primary malignancy. And the theory was we want to examine the expected mortality of that primary malignancy across that entire patient's continuum of care. So for example, if a patient had a primary breast cancer, but they were admitted for treatment of bone metastases, we would still model that patient to the breast cancer model group because they want to examine the outcomes long-term for those particular patient populations. And in that 2021 update, procedure coding didn't factor into it. So a case could actually be in a surgical DRG, and that wouldn't affect the model group that the case was assigned to. However, in 2022, Vizient has added selected procedure groups as variables in the oncology model group. So for example, model group 1120, which is oncology reproductive female, uterine, and endometrial. A variable was added to account for a patient that has had an ileostomy or a colostomy on that particular visit. So to trigger that variable, that procedure code must be coded on that particular encounter. Jim, thanks. Great discussion. And we'll continue our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Jim at his email address listed in the research section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email, modernpracticepodcast at visioninc.com. We posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thanks for listening.